0: kind of feels weird being up here again, you know? It's been a few weeks. I'm super thankful that David and John sat in for me and let me have a vacation where when I was on vacation, I got to relax and be on vacation. So that was pretty awesome. You know what I mean? Dang it. David said that we'll get his bill, so that's all right. I'll put it on the church card. I don't have the church's card so I won't <laughs> John, we love you. And thank you, David, for your time and the work. Father, we praise you, and we give you the glory, and we thank you at this time for John. And we just ask glory. for your blessings to be upon him and that our ears will be open, not just to our brain, but to our heart to receive what you have given him to say. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's go to Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. While you're turning there, i it's kind of nice to have a few weeks to prepare a message instead of one week or less than a week. So this should be the best message I've ever delivered in my life. <clears throat> that was stupid to say. I, I, I will never say that. That was a joke. Dang it. I did say it, so I kind of blew it. <laughs> this could be the biggest flop of my life, actually. I'm just kidding. Let's read uh, Matthew 4, verse 18. Quick. So this is after Jesus has been tempted by the devil, and he's began this ministry in this area called Galilee. If you don't know, Galilee was is northern Israel, so it's not super close to Jerusalem and where all the temple and all that stuff's going on. All right, so this is the Sea of Galilee area. <clears throat> uh, verse 18. As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately, that's really powerful, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father. Don't forget that. They're sitting there fishing with their daddy. Preparing the nets, their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left their boat and their father and followed him. This morning, I just want to talk a little bit about what it means to be a disciple. I know that some of you may be like, Good Lord, John, would you stop talking about disciple making and disciples? But over the last three weeks, I felt in my heart that God has told me I've done an inadequate job raising the question Am I a disciple? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm sitting there telling everyone how to make disciples, and we may not even be disciples ourselves, so how can we reproduce something that we're not? You know what I mean? And so I've been doing a lot of study, and I've been doing a lot of thinking on what does it mean to be a disciple? I thought, like, I bet if I, like, went around and asked everybody here, what's a disciple, Jerry? What's a disciple, Beverly? I bet I'd get 20 different answers, probably. You think? Maybe more than that. Like, a ton of different answers of what it means to be, you know, a disciple. Some people may say, well, I, I prayed my sinner's prayer, and now I'm a disciple of Jesus. I go, okay, that's interesting. I don't know where that's at in the Bible, but that's interesting. You know there's no sinner's prayer in the Bible, right? Uh-oh, I'm gonna get in, we're going to get in trouble now. Jesus, the rich young ruler came to him and said, Jesus, I want to follow you. And Jesus said, pray this prayer with me. Father, I'm so sorry for what I've done. I'm just kidding. See, I want to get people in trouble. No, he said, go sell all you have and follow me. <laughs> Whoo! Starting off on fire today, baby. I'm not messing around. I'm just kidding. So, so, some, But I may say, what's being a disciple? I go to church on Sundays. Is that what it means to be a disciple, right? Uh, I have a group of people. We meet once a week and get together. Is that what it really means to be a disciple of Jesus? i get to that here in a second. Uh, I have a mentoring relationship with someone who is a, a spiritual father or mother to me, and we meet you know, once a week and we study. Is that what being a disciple of Jesus is? Right? be interesting, right, to hear what people think. I've gone all the way back, and I've been really looking at what, is, what did it mean in the first century when Jesus walked the earth? What did it mean to be a rabbi? Because isn't that really interesting that Jesus, that God, in his infinite wisdom, chooses to come to earth, to send his son to earth? And what is his vocation during ministry? He was a Jewish rabbi. And you know that Jesus was called to the, it, to, the, to the people of Israel. Now, of course, his sacrifice went to the Gentiles and beyond, but he said, I've come to the lost sheep of Israel. That's my mission now. His disciples' mission was going to be to them and then to the ends of the earth. Right? Of course, Jesus hints at uh, different types of people and stuff as he's here and how much he really cares and how much he really loves them. But what is... what what? what is a disciple? I like what Brett said last week about being a Christian. Did y'all remember what he said there? I've adopted that same thing. When I was talking to someone like two weeks before Brett said that. That Brett, If you weren't here, Brett, said when, Brett Harrison, he said, when someone says, are you a Christian, his first question is, well, what is that? What does that mean to you? Like, what do you mean, what is a Christian? Because for some people, being a Christian is aligning with a particular political party, right? So some of it means, you know, going to church on Sunday, or believing this certain rel- set of religious beliefs, like getting an idea of what someone means by what a, what is a Christian helps us to respond better, yes, I am a Christian. Or mm, if that's what you think a Christian is, no, I'm not. Uh, no, I'm not a Christian, if that's your definition. Being the disciple is the same thing, I think, Right. Like, if we think about that, we think about, yes, I'm a disciple, or no, I'm a disciple, I'm not sure. Well, again, I go back to, well, what is a disciple? What's, what's our definition of being a disciple? And to what Jared said, there is a true definition of what being a disciple is. It's not all willy-nilly, and I just kind of decide what I might be or what I kind of feel like. And the reason I think that, one of the reasons I think this is hugely important as we examine this is, being, whether we're disciples of Jesus or not, is not like a compartmentalized thing in our walk, in our faith. Meaning, like, I don't like, here's my Bible reading, here's my way I, you know, teach and train my family, and oh yeah, I do a disciple thing. Whether we're disciples of Jesus or not affects everything that we do. (laughs) It affects the way that we run our businesses, right, Jay? It really does. Like, if I'm a true disciple of Jesus, the way I run my business will be different, wildly different Than people who are not true disciples of jesus the way we treat this earth that god has given us to steward matters the way whether we're a disciple of jesus or not it affects that the way we treat our bodies we were talking about that the other day jay like the way we treat our bodies what we put in what we do how we like like if we are true disciples of jesus it affects literally everything that we do the way we treat our kids the way we um operate as employees Like, are we serious, true disciples of Jesus? And that affects everything. So I just want to kind of share a little bit about what it meant to be a disciple. And as we do that, we're going to look back at that verse I read because that's a very powerful, like it seems really simple. Jesus walking and, you know, these guys are fishing. He says, follow me. This is a hugely powerful moment, incredibly. And I think that as we begin to understand uh, what it looked like in the first century, Jesus' statement to follow to these unlearned fishermen was insane almost. It was crazy. For them to be invited into a disciple-rabbi relationship was crazy. It was wild. It was really wild. So how did Jewish education take place? They did it in a synagogue, number one. You know, when we were back in Babylon and we were with Daniel and all that, that's when they adopted like this idea of what a synagogue was, Okay. Before that, they had temple. You know, Back then, whenever the, the, the Babylonians had put them in captivity, they didn't have access to temple like they used to, so they started these things. They actually copied it from the Babylonians somewhat. Synagogues, and if we had a synagogue here, it would be a little different. Sometimes we hear synagogue and we think it looks like this. And there's one speaker and we're in pews. There it actually would be, I've seen, showed you pictures, there would be like a, row, like a row all around the, the sides of it, made out of cement or stone or whatever. So we'd all be sitting in like a squared-off horseshoe. Why? So that the rabbi can give us text and we can argue back and forth about what they mean. Isn't that, isn't that cool? How would, how would y'all like that? Maybe we'd actually learn to disagree well. You know? I mean, seriously. that would be, I think that'd be awesome. So next week, we're all going to be sitting around here, and I'm just going to throw out bombs and let you guys just go at it. <laughs> oh, but then I have to be a part because I'm not the rabbi. Jesus is the rabbi. Oh, but anyways, so in those places, rabbis, um, this is where they did school. It was more like a community center, and they did a lot of different things there, where they did judgment and dip, kind of like the elders at the gates. Anyways, when you were about five years old, you entered into, like, what they call elementary school. Here's a cool thing: I'm totally convinced Jesus went through this entire process. By the way, totally convinced by a different thing, the way the scriptures say. So, probably around five years old, Jesus himself went to this elementary type school. And what they do, they learn Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Exodus Numbers, Deuteronomy. By the time they were finished with their elementary school, which was around 12-ish, me- most of them had a ton of Torah memorized. Even some of them had the whole Torah memorized. So their whole education system was founded on God's law, writing, learning, uh, and understanding and living out God's law. That's, that's absolutely what it was. Their memorization would put us all to shame, would make me look terrible. Like, can you imagine, like, where's Jonah's 11? How old is Owen? 10? He'd probably know more scripture memorization than any of us in here probably do if he was if it was back in in jesus's day and jesus went through that process but what happened whenever they hit the age you know 12-ish we know that that's been interesting that Ben mentioned during our was shepherd meeting last week that the industrial revolution caused adolescence right like there was no such thing as adolescence this weird period of time when you're like 12 years old to 18 or 20 or however, probably it's 27 nowadays, <laughs> I'm just kidding, <laughs> to where you're a man or a woman, <laughs> economic independence, yeah, that's what he said, so that could be 32 nowadays, <laughs> I don't know if I'm a, a, a adult, I'm just kidding. But we have created this weird thing because in their culture, like, you would learn. At the age of 12, you would start to learn the family trade or start being an apprentice for somebody or something like that so that you can learn skills on how to, to make money. And that's another thing that we have to get out of our, I guess, Western minds is the way that when we hear school, it was done differently. It was much more like an apprenticeship. Right? It was much more get your hands dirty than it is where we've learned <coughs> that I speak and you guys just, you listen and you write down notes and whether you do it or not, who knows. It wasn't like that at all, right? Hey, let me show you how to do this. Okay, now you go ahead and you do it. So that's probably, I'm convinced that that's where Peter and John and James' education probably stopped. Was about I bet they probably went to elementary school and that's why when in Acts chapter 4 they, Peter and John get arrested, they say, who are these unlearned men? Because they've just gone to elementary. They haven't really done much, you know. But again, at that age, that's whenever they start to learn their craft. So they probably learned how to be fishermen at 12. This is what makes Jesus' statement so powerful. Jesus goes up to some fishermen. That's all they've known since they were probably 12 years old. Like, right, they're out there fishing with their daddy. Um, Which ones were fishing with their dad? Not Peter and Andrew. James and John, sons of Zebedee. Um, Sorry, I had a brain. Whatever, lapse for a second there. I'm not going to say the other one sorry. I almost did, but then I almost did. Yeah, anyways, <clears throat> so they're out there and they're with their daddy because their daddy's taught them how to fish. That's all they know, right? And when you, actually, when you look at it, we, I think whenever we imagine Peter and James and John, we think they're all like 40, 50 years old. They're probably like in their twenties. They're young. They're like, they're probably like Jared, you know what I mean? Or something like that, like Jared's age, like that Peter was probably that age doing crazy, amazing things. You're like, whoa, isn't that incredible? But they're out there fishing and, they're, and, they're, and, and Jesus says, follow me. What, rabbis just didn't do that. And we'll get we'll get a, a little bit further because they beca- there also was a secondary school or education, and they you didn't stop learning your trade, so if you're a woodworker or carpenter like Jesus or John, <coughs> we, we teach Kenneth how to how to woodwork, you know' <laughs> She's, Rachel's like, "Nope, I don't think so. <laughs> That's not happening. <laughs> as you're teaching how to do that, they're still going you go to school now a much smaller percentage of people went to the secondary education right and so when they do that they start learning the writings and the prophets the oral torah and all those kind of things so that's so you have a big group of people that are in school and then it shrinks down to a smaller group of people when they're finished with secondary education only an, like pretty much an elite few an elite few seek to go underneath a rabbi and learn um what it what it means to to be a rabbi they really get into very serious teaching. So this is so it's just, just an elite, just the best of the best, right? So these are like we might create it to, to grad school or, or to a PhD or something like that. It's not just anybody. So can you imagine how um, scandalous it was even for Jesus to walk to some fishermen who have gone through elementary school that, <laughs> who aren't, aren't among the elite of the elite, the creme de la creme, and says, "Will you, you follow me. Maybe that's why they immediately left their nets. Maybe they're like blowing their mind. Like, are you serious? I can train under a rabbi? I wonder what what, uh, James and John's dad thought. I I don't know. One day, hopefully I can see him. Be like, what did you think whenever you're fishing out in your boat and your son's immediately, I mean, are, is he super, like, blown away and excited? Like, yes. Is his heart broken? Like, well, there goes the family business. I'm going to have to figure other stuff. Is there a mixture of the two? Like, man, this seems like a great opportunity, but now I've got to figure this out. It says immediately they left their nets, and, and they followed him. And they followed him. This is, this is beginning, I think, one of, one of the keys here is that to begin to understand the Talmudim rabbi relationship, the first thing is you have to follow. And that's what Jesus said. That's Peter. Uh, Peter talking to Jesus says, "Where is it? Matthew eighteen. I can't remember." Says, "Lord, we gave up everything to follow you," and Jesus doesn't say, "No, you didn't." No, he understood that they did. Whenever you became a student, you submitted everything to your rabbi completely. And as I'm as I'm saying these things, ask ourselves: Are we ra- are we disciples? Like, am I a disciple? Am I like that's what I, I ask myself this as I've been preparing this whole time. Do I look like this to Jesus? Have I s- given up? My like everything like let go. They left. They left their livelihood. They left everything on the table. Why? Because they, they so supremely valued learning under Rabbi Jesus. It mattered more to them than literally anything in their life. And therefore, of course, it affected every single thing in their lives. Will you? Will you? Will you follow me? Man, ah, I, I, uh, that's huge, isn't it? We have left everything. Everything. There's this rabbinical saying uh, that that's that was pretty cool. That says, "Let your house be a meeting place for the rabbis. Cover yourself in the dust of their feet and drink their words in thirstily." So this is just to give, just to kind of give us an idea of how important it was. So when rabbis traveled around Jesus, you know why Jesus says things like foxes have holes, birds, the ears have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head? That's what rabbis did. They would go from place to place, and they relied on the hospitality of people. Now, the people, it was their honor, if they a following God, to allow rabbis into their homes. That's why that saying says, absolutely, you allow rabbis in their homes. But I love that the, the phrase, cover yourself in the dust of their feet. It's so real. Right. If you're when you're following rabbis, whenever they would follow Jesus would follow around. It's saying get so close that their dust, the dust of their feet, are are, are like are like kicking up on you. You got to listen. Imagine even being in the twelve. It's like hey, be the one the closest to Jesus so that you can hear what he says. I mean, and make sure that you understand. You know what's what's going on, and so that you can learn from Rabbi Jesus. Like, oh, that's it's just so beautiful. Drink their words in thirstily, like what they say. So the goal. Jesus even says this, the goal of a Talmudim is to be like their rabbi. Jesus says that, right? He even says that himself. That's the goal. It was so extreme that I heard the story of this person that went to Jerusalem, watched a rabbi walking like this, and four or five guys walked behind the rabbi just like this, though they had nothing wrong with their back. It was like imitation. That, that, that's the, that is the key. And one of the big parts to that, y'all, when we think about Jesus and are we truly following and being discipled by Jesus, is that our goal, my life's goal, was to be just like Jesus. That's it. Like, I literally, in every part of my life. See, it wasn't a thing where Jesus, see, Jesus taught to the crowds, right? We see that, right? He talked to the crowds. But who did he dialogue with and wrestle with and explain his parables to? His disciples, so it would be like, hey, what's going on, y'all? Hey, we'll have this sermon. But then there would be a few people, and he would wrestle and talk, and it would be, those are his Talmudim, those are the disciples, and they would wrestle with these things. But the thing about the disciple and rabbi is that the rabbi modeled life for them, life. They would go, if you're, we're a disciple, we go wherever our rabbi goes. So if the rabbi is doing a funeral, if the rabbi is helping the poor, if a rabbi is eating lunch, eating breakfast on the Sea of Galilee. You're eating with your rabbi. You're hanging with your rabbi. You're talking with your rabbi. And so um, you get to see how they interact with every single part and facet of life. And so if we're true disciples of Jesus, we're allowing Jesus to model every single facet of of life for us. But isn't that so cool that God would say, follow me, let me show you? Isn't that, I, did, isn't, I mean, seriously, he didn't say, here's a book. Now, there is a book, and it's super powerful. They are his words, but he also said, watch me. That's why Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He's thinking of this relationship, right? They understood the relationship of the rabbi to this. Imitate me, do what I do as I imitate Christ. Like, that's that's a thing. But as I've been wrecked by this reality lately, because I've really been, very practically, what what does that look like You know, in my life, I've recognized that as I'm trying to adopt this mindset, Christianity, or whatever you want to call it, has gone from boring to super exciting. (laughs) Because I've recognized that I'm going to follow my rabbi. And rabbi, by the way, I should have mentioned earlier, means master, teacher, my master, our Lord. As Megan and the worship team were singing about our Lord. Like, where are you going, Lord? I will go wherever you want me to go. And what wrecks me is that, in a good way, he wants to impact every single person area of my life right he wants to impact everything like he wants to impact my character man there's been some challenges like you ever have that happen where like you man you think you're doing good and then something shifts in your life and and maybe you weren't something shifts in your life and you're given a different situation you're like why did i handle it like that maybe you're given more power or authority and you're like wow I thought I had that down, but now that I got this, maybe I was a little greedy with that authority. Maybe I was trying to lord over. Maybe you lose power and authority. And you're like, oh crud! Like I didn't realize, man. I was my identity and my life was in being X, Y, or Z. Like I've had that. I mean, all these kind of things. And like the Lord is, I feel like every day is a journey with Jesus and His Holy Spirit to change everything of who I am. So getting up in the morning and saying, Lord, where are you going today? That's what it looks like, right? Like I think very practically, God, what are you doing? And Jesus sent us his Holy Spirit as our teacher and our guide. That's Jesus' spirit is in us. That's why John says his anointing will teach you. You don't need to have a teacher. His anointing teaches you, right? So his spirit living and dwelling in us. When we're on the way to work, how, 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 how are we interacting with the Lord and listening to God's voice? And that's what the rabbi, that's what they did. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? I'm trying to listen to your voice. Let me, let me imitate. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me be changed into your image. And that's the beautiful thing. We're not trying to be changed into a man's image, a woman's image. We're trying to be changed into Jesus' image, God's image. We look at him and we're like, like I'll, I'll look at him and all the stuff he done. I'm like, I'm blown away. And he's like, well, I just want you to do that. Like, <laughs> you can be like this. Like, we can, it's just incredible that he invites us in. When we're employees, like, how are we interacting with him during the course? Like, how do we, tr- find, how do we treat someone when we find out that they're they're broken or, or someone's sick? Or, you know what I mean? Or something's going on. Do we just kind of blow past them with Jesus? That's what wrecks me because I'm sitting back thinking, like, Christ is in me. It's even better than with the disciples. You guys know that. That's kind of hard for us to understand sometimes. We're like, well, if Jesus was here with me, yeah, he is. Like, it's even better. His spirit is in us. He never leaves us, right? It's just absolutely amazing. But I've asked myself that, like, in an interaction with a person, I said, you know what? Jesus would not have interacted that way with that person. I just know he wouldn't have. Lord, I want to grow. And that's the cool thing about it is the disciples make mistakes, but they constantly show growth. And that's another piece, too, that I think is so huge is we think I'm going to pray a prayer and zap my whole life is totally different. That's not at all what it means to be a disciple, the first step is saying yes, Lord, I will follow you, and that may look like a prayer. God, I submit everything to you in my life. But that's the beginning. It's not the, It's not. We've made it a that's all everything, and then you go to church on Sunday, and then we're like kind of bored. Like, what is this? Is this this is not that exciting? You know, I mean, Sunday's pretty fun, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I don't know. It doesn't affect my life. But whenever we become true disciples of Jesus, it again affects absolutely, absolutely everything that we do. It's 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 incredible. I'm going to end with um, yeah, and it doesn't happen overnight. I just want to reiterate that. We are growing in the Lord. I want to end with just a short story that maybe can help reiterate not only this like apprentice ship relationship that we have with our master, Jesus. but also it has a cool kind of thing on the end for us. Uh, I read this story where there was a maybe John, you could probably relate to this. there is a, a young woman who is very good at pottery. Uh, and she you know, would turn, or no, throw. They call it throw in pottery, don't they? They throw vases and bowls and different things like that, and she had determined that she was going to go study under a master potter. Usually, you would study with this potter for four years. She only had six months to give him, so she flies and actually goes to Japan. When she gets to Japan, she lives with them. See, this is kind of like the, the, the style, right? Like you come and you, and you live with these people. You live your day in and day out sweating, getting in the dust of, of who they are, and lives with them. And so when she got there, she would watch the way that he would form the pots and, and, all, and the vases and all those different things, but was totally dismayed, broke, all this kind of stuff because he wasn't asking her to throw pottery Instead, he was asking her to do household chores. It kind of reminds me of Karate Kid just a little bit. I'm just, just going to be real. This is a true story, though. But would also have her go in digging up the clay. Like, you go find the clay, you dig it up, you find the best clay and stuff. like Things that she hadn't done. And she's, she's like, man, what are you doing? And, and he had said to her, listen, how you handle these things is how, the, with the care that you handle these menial tasks is the care in which you're gonna handle these vases and these bowls. I think that's a really cool thought and like a really very wise saying. Like if you take this with care and you're treating it well, wait and see what happens to your pottery when you begin to take that much care with your pottery. But it's almost six months in and she's never thrown one piece and she's broken. Like I just wasted six months of my life. Like all I've been able to do is watch him and do these tasks, watch him do these tasks and his wife was sitting with her and they were having breakfast. And as they're having breakfast, she was just like a, a kind of admitting, like, man, what am I doing? Like, I haven't, he's not letting me do anything or whatever. And his wife said, listen, when you came here, you were a fully grown tree. We had to prune you back so that you can actually see real growth. She never once threw a piece of pottery, goes back home. Her very first piece is her best piece she has ever done because she got to watch and learned those lessons and got to watch. You ever watch a master do something and it makes you better? You ever, you ever gone to see a concert? I, I play guitar. You know, and I'm like, God, they are amazing. You go home and you're like, wow, I just wrote a better song now, like a pretty good song because you just watch a master at their craft and it actually encourages you to be even better. But what I love about that story is not only does it show that, that apprenticeship, that down in the dirt. I mean, imagine walking with Jesus up hills and you're sweating and you're just doing, you know, this kind of dirty, nitty-gritty kind of thing, not this polished like style that we have often, this nitty-gritty kind of thing. But I I think that that's really powerful, but I think what's even more powerful is I think most of us as Christians need to be pruned back, and that God told me that about myself. Like, we have all these ideas of what being a Christian is, we have all these ideas of what being a disciple is, we have all these ideas of I read my Bible for 10 minutes or five minutes a day and I spend a few minutes in prayer and I go to church on Sunday and maybe if I'm really holy I go to Bible study on Tuesday night or whatever but what does it really mean to just simply be a disciple of Jesus to sit at rabbi Jesus's feet to like listen to read and to listen to his words and just to begin to do what what if I just was just thinking about this one what if we just what if the church in America just did that like, what if we just said, we're going to become like Jesus in everything that we do, in growing community like Jesus would grow community, and in running our businesses, like I said, like Jesus ran his business, treating our children. Like, I'm, we're going to focus not on the show, but on just the nitty-gritty doing what he says to do, and living that out. And that's, that's where God has, has me, and that's why I think there's things that need to be pruned back. I think there are traditions that are beautiful. I think there are traditions that get in the way, right? I mean, that's just how, it's just the reality. But just pruning back, which, are the, which is the good, which is the bad in our lives? And we can, you know, we can ask that, self, that question for ourselves. What, is, what does that look like? And then we get the same invitation that Peter and James and John did. Follow me, will you? That's what Jesus is asking all of us. Back at the beginning, will you just follow me? Follow me. Okay, Jesus. So that looks tomorrow after we leave, like I'm just gonna walk. I'm going to talk to Jesus. I'm going to listen to Jesus. I'm going to do I'm going to open my heart to let him change my character, the way I treat everything and do everything. And, man, it hurts a lot. Can I tell you that? When I've opened my heart, and, the, and there's times in my life I've been good at it and bad at it. Good. At, I'm just being real with you. And I know, I know the times that I'm being, I think that I'm doing well at it are the hardest times in my life because I'll have it's, – it's not that God's being mean. It's that he's just growing me. You know what I mean? And there's times where i would be like, man – I really screwed up that conversation I had with somebody. And the Lord's picking me up and just letting me grow. And I love it. It's good. And I look back and I'm like, wow, I've grown a whole lot this year. Instead of some years, I'm like, what did I do last year? Goodness gracious. So let's let's pray. Father, thank you that we get to call you Father. Thank you that you would imitate and show us not how to have a great golf swing or how to, how to knit the most amazing swing.